great timing to start a podcast. <laughs> Rob. No, I've got some chocolate <laughs> digestives and a coffee. How about that? I have to say, if there are chocolate digestives in front of me, I would probably eat them too. Here we go. This is way more important than movies. What's your favourite biscuit to go with? Oh. Tea or coffee? Mm, a hobnob. Chocolate oh. hobnob. Yeah, they're always up there, the hobnobs, aren't they? Mm. Actually, yeah. some Fox's chocolate biscuits that you get at Christmas time, they're quite nice. They are quite good. Mm. Marks and Spencer's do. Sorry, this is really advertising here. Marks and Spencer's biscuits are really nice too. We don't have much in the way of biscuits, though, in our house. Really? No. We're oh. a crisp family. <laughs> are you? We're not. We're the opposite. More biscuits and... and oh. not really, not really. The girls don't like crisps. They don't even bother eating crisps. Oh, that's good. Biscuits and crisps aren't exactly the best thing for you, are they? But hey. They're not, but an alternative, which isn't as bad, I'm told, is popcorn. And I quite like the old Tesco's popcorn. I've done lots of popcorn trials and Tesco's is not bad. At a local cinema that we frequent. Uh, They're doing a free popcorn Wednesday or something, I saw. Are they? Yeah. Last time it was a bit dry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, so I've got. I don't take popcorn at the cinema. You know that. I have. I've started, as you know, which you quite enjoyed yourself when we went to the cinema last. Is those nachos with uh, that cheesy sauce? Amazing. <laughs> I, I if I will always Crisps. go nachos and cheese over popcorn. Always. Oh, will you? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. nachos, melted cheese, and chilies. Mm. Amazing. Love it. Yeah. I've only just discovered it recently in the last couple of cinema trips, and I was like, hmm. The annoying nice. thing is they, they've, they've reduced the amount of nachos you get over the years. My favourite bit of it is the melted cheese, but often there's not enough cheese for the nachos, and, you, and you've run out of cheese, and you feel a bit cheated. Then you've mm. just got chilies without the cheese which isn't as good yeah i pass on the chilies have to say mm. anyway <laughs> you have you watched any anything recently you haven't watched encanto you mentioned earlier so i've still got to watch encanto and i've still got to watch the tourist and i've still got to watch lost daughter because you've watched the lost daughter <laughs> no but i've got to watch it again oh right because uh, I'm, i've kind of convinced uh, myself uh, that it's not an eight but i can't rescore it until i watch it again but i think i messed up i don't think it was an eight but i i need to investigate more i have no intentions of watching that film for a no well, i'm not time. surprised having given it a five <laughs> was it a five and i wondered whether it was a four no it was actually a five. no you might be right maybe it was no it's a five it was a five yeah the acting was pretty good in directorial debut and directing it's just uh, it just lacked something for me. Anyway, that was last time. This week, actually, I've watched Mortal Kombat, surprisingly. <laughs> it wasn't me my first choice. How did that yeah, come so, Well, uh, <laughs> was it Thursday night? Sit down, said a fancy some action to my husband. Oh, my and God. He said, is and he sticks on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you said that's no way, man. <laughs> well, that's how we're swinging in our house. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Brilliant. I, he'll listen to this and he'll ha- he'll have a right go at me after yeah. this. So, no, it's actually, I was I was looking for a film. I definitely was looking for an action film. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. I was I was a bit surprised with Mortal Kombat, though, because I thought, oh, it's going to be a bit cheesy and stuff. And it, uh, yes, it was. So there's no lying there. It's got uh, Lewis Tan, who's from Deadpool 2. You may have recognised him from that. Plays Cole Young, who is a martial arts cage fighting warrior who's really trying to see 
seek out why he has this dragon birthmark on him since birth. And he learns that he's a descendant from an earth god. He's not the only one there. There are other earth gods descendants as well. And they try to defend the universe. And also they want to defeat the outworld warriors. What that means? I have no idea. I just went with it. It's really hard to explain, but it's very fantasy world, as you can expect from this sort of computer game anyway. A little bit gory, I have to be honest. I was surprised that it's 15. I would have put it at 18. So don't let your little ones watch it. It's not for them, I don't think. And hour and 50 minutes and it whizzed by. I was quite surprised that I actually enjoyed it. Because there was another one, wasn't there, in 1995? Another version of it. Mm, Was that one with Uh, Kylie Minogue? No, but I was. That's exactly what I was thinking about when you mentioned Mortal Kombat. That's Mm. another computer game film. Oh my God, what is it? I have to look up Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Street Fighter or something. There we go. Was it? Yes. Was it? it? Street Ah. Fighter. Got there before me. And Ozark. Ozark is back. Fourth series about a family money laundering to stay out of trouble from the drug cartel. And yeah, the first episode of the full series is good. So I recommend that. Cool. So shall we crack on with our reviews? Yeah. Should we go with Monte Cristo? Let's do it. Okay. So the Count of Monte Cristo is out of my, uh, my list from last time. Released in 2002, IMDB rating, which you were surprised by, a 7.7. Directed by Kevin Reynolds, known for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with the Kev that you like. Kevin Costner. Not the Kev. And he's also did Waterworld with Kevin Costner again. However, Kevin Costner isn't in this film. And it's based on the 1800s book Le Comte de Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas, who also wrote The Three Musketeers or Les Trois Mousquetaires, Parlez-vous français, Rob? And, oui, 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 uh, oui, 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 oui. <laughs> and the lead actor who plays the Count of Monte Cristo is played by Jim Cavazel. You got Guy Pierce, you got young Henry Cavill, you know, Superman, the everyday Superman, Superman and The Witcher, he's in that as well. And you got Louis Guzman, you may have seen from Traffic and Boogie Nights, and you got the great Richard Harris, who's of course was Dumbledore in more recent times. Unfortunately, he's the late Richard Harris now. There's a connection also, however, with the lost daughter and this film. Do you know what it is, Rob? Oh, okay, hang on. Um what is it? God damn it. So Callie from The Lost Daughter, I think she was the head of the mafia, you know, that group, is the actress who plays Mercedes in this film, oh. a younger Dagmara Domineski. Anyway, what's the film about? So Edmund Dantes, who's paid by Cavazel and Ferdinand, paid by Guy Pierce, have grown up together. However, Ferdinand, the wealthy of the two, has always been a bit jealous of, of Edmund. So it's heightened when we're introduced to them in the 1820s, as Edmund has this beautiful girlfriend called Mercedes, who he plans to wed, but Ferdinand wants her to himself. So Ferdinand is involved in this plot to have Edmund accused of treason by receiving a letter from Napoleon Bonaparte to pass on to a citizen living in part of Marseille. And Edmund is imprisoned in Chateau de If for about 13 years 13 years long time Edmund meets Richard Harris's character in the prison who has been there for a little bit longer than him and he teaches him how to uh, to read and realize who betrayed him and also teaches fencing skills because he shows that he's not an expert or not great because Ferdinand beats him at doing that and he gets arrested Edmund escapes prison starts his plot 
for his revenge and with help of Jacopo, played by Louis Guzman. And part of this includes transforming himself into a charming, wealthy Count of Monte Cristo. Now, this is a pirate kind of swashbuckling adventure that brings subtle humour, romance, torture, cleverness and revenge. But Rob, what do you think of it? Well, I must admit, I'm not up on my Alexandre Dumas novels and I didn't read into Three Musketeers. It. Well, though. I know. It's Come really on. poor. Well, I know. Dogtanian? Dogtanian and the Musketeer well, Muscat. I remember watching Dogtanian, <laughs> but uh, I, was, I didn't think I was focused on the on the literature <laughs> it was loosely based on. Uh, obviously, The Three Musketeers, it's not surprising when you watch this, it has that same feel to it. I think the biggest thing for me when I was watching this is this was 2002, but mm. it had a real throwback quality to it. I read that Disney were considering releasing this onto their banner as a family film. I can see why it doesn't neatly fit into family film, but it's just a bit of everything to it. That's why I liked it. The epic scenery, I think it was filmed in Malta. Yes, and Ireland. The scenes in Malta are beautiful, especially the island on which the prison is based and and just all of the scenes where the film opens to establish the the characters. I I just thought it was beautiful and it had this real kind of sweeping quality to it. You said swashbuckling, absolutely right. There's loads of sword fights and it's just very traditional, isn't it? You've got Mm. the girl who both these two main characters are wanting to win the affections of. You've got the intrigue, you've got the deceit, you've got the pirate film feel to it. As I say, all the kind of exotic locations. And I I didn't know anything about the book. I really liked the part of the film where Edmond acquires all of this wealth and begins his plot to Mm -hmm. get revenge over Fernand. And it almost felt like it shifts into a slightly different film. The scene where he presents himself to everybody, you know, to high society. Yeah, in, in in this massive mansion and he descends on this balloon and... I thought that scene was, you know, really jaw-dropping. Yeah, I really, it's one of those, is it fair to say, and this isn't demeaning it at all, it's a real Sunday afternoon film. Yeah, I would agree with that. I didn't watch it on a Sunday afternoon, but I can totally see how, kind of get the family together and... I don't know, it has a real nostalgic feel to it. I really like Guy Pearce. I love everything he's in. I think he's a fantastic actor. I didn't know much about Jim Cavazell. I mean, I know he was in The Passion of Christ, which came the after. The Thin Red Line, isn't there? A film That's right. And The, the Thin Red, Red Line, Line yeah. which I have seen a long time ago, which is a fantastic film, actually. I don't remember him in it, but it's one of those ones I might revisit. He's got an incredible presence. He, the, his eyes and his, he has a very, very striking presence. But it's funny, at the time, he probably probably would have been the bigger name maybe than Guy Pearce, who probably was finding his way into Hollywood. But watching it now, Guy Pearce is probably the bigger name. And when you first watch it, you therefore kind of think, oh, Guy Pearce is probably going to be the, the lead character, as in he's going to be the, the hero, if you like. Ah, uh, okay. And, then, and obviously he's not. But interestingly, originally, he was going to play that part, apparently. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. I can't just, see him in that role, though. I think they had it right. with the, They did yeah. have it right. You're we right, because yeah. there's something in, in, the, in the look of Guy Pearce that does seem to suit that role. I think there's a real joy to watching this film for the performance of Richard Harris, this was around a similar time to Gladiator. I think it might have been a year or two on. And although he plays 
someone who is imprisoned and when we see him he's really disheveled he has that familiar obviously Julius Caesar's Christ it's completely different to Gladiator but whenever he talks he has that voice which is has so much wisdom oozing from Mm. it and he plays Mm. that figure who imparts all of his knowledge to Edmund whilst he's in prison he teaches him to read he helps him become a swordsman so when he leaves he's on a level par with Fernand who of course is a count but yeah I, I thought his character was great I found Richard Harris's character. He, he was he was playing Dumbledore at the same time when this was filmed as well. So he was, did this in in the mix of when he did his uh, Harry Potter first few. I think he was the first Harry Potter, wasn't he? Yes, Not the last Harry Potter. So he passed away, I think, in two thousand and four. He was still doing movies up until that point when they were releasing films. He's got that. I don't know about the actors in those days, in from the mid nineteen hundreds. Let's just say they talk in a similar way. Like Richard Attenborough talks in a similar way to him, and he, he reminded me a little bit of Richard Attenborough when he was played in Miracle Thirty Fourth Street. It's that kind of character with a long white beard, and and also his Dumbledore as well. So it's they all sound very similar, very well spoken and sort of weary. But he was weary. He was quite old, Richard Harris, in this film. So yeah, but I loved the relationship between him and Ed. Mond during this film and he played Abe Ferrier in this film and it was great great to see him so I haven't seen many movies only more as I was growing up really seeing some of his movies not some of his earlier day movies which I would love to go back and have a look at I was curious to know the story really behind Jim Cavazell mm. because I was looking at the films he's done around this time you know Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ was a couple of years after this but he hasn't really gone on to be a prolific actor even though he clearly has that presence which I was just curious about I was looking at his films that he has released and I don't know whether he's a heavily religious man but he's done quite a few films based on the story of Jesus and biblical films but I'm surprised in some ways he didn't go on to be or hasn't gone on to be a bigger name because he's clearly leading man material certainly based on this at times, actually, when he was all bearded and no one could recognise him as the Edmund of the past, this is when he becomes this rich, self-dubbed Count of Monte Cristo. He reminded me a bit of actors like Hugh Jackman when he's played similar roles, um, or even Bradley Cooper. He just has that kind of look about him. There is a film, actually, that's about to come out, or is out already. It's Sound of Freedom, and he's starring with Mira Savino. And it's got 8.1 on IMDb, so it's obviously quite a good film. So it might be one to look out for. Uh, It might be 8.1 because it may have just only come out in the US or whatever, and very few people have reviewed it. Yeah, 30, 52 people have reviewed it, so pretty low numbers. But so yeah, it's probably one to look out for because he's he's in that, and he's, he's one of the lead characters as well. It's about a story of Tim Ballard, a former US governor, agent who quits his job in order to devote his life rescuing children from global sex traffickers not a very nice subject obviously but he has got he's always played those kind of more serious roles and he's got a little cheekiness in this role in Counter Monte Cristo he's the more serious character between him and Guy Pearce I think what I found really interesting is that he put on an, a French accent whereas Guy Pearce was very English spoken and they'd grown up together so how come they haven't got the same accent did you not twig that I didn't notice that I must admit yeah, I think I might yeah it just... bothered me at the end it bothered me at the end a little well, bit well I mean it's, it's the same with all these kind of films it's like obviously none of the characters are English and none of the main characters are English and no. yeah of course you know they're talking English so yeah it's interesting yeah. to see who kind of goes with that slightly it's like the same as Monsieur de Villefort he was a very English actor as well but he is 
an English actor, so he just carried on his normal accent. But I think Jim Caviezel was the only one that put a French accent on that I yeah. can remember. And Apart they... from Napoleon Bonaparte as well. <laughs> he, I think he had a French accent. Also, Helen McCrory was in this. I didn't realise that. Yes. Uh, she was um, um, yeah. Valentine, Valentina. Um, she just... passed away last year, <clears throat> didn't she? She did, sadly. So... But I, as I say, I, I don't feel like I'm anything hugely insightful to say about it other than I just really enjoyed it because it had all of the elements of what often went into a film which was in the adventure category, more like from the 80s in some ways. Yeah, I think back to those times we used to sit back and watch Jason and the Argonauts or you used to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or or, or these films that just... I don't know. I mean, I know it's a different era, but it just had that feel to it. But the acting was very, very good. It certainly ticks the box for adventure. It's definitely Definitely. an adventure film. Definitely, without a doubt, because sometimes these genres don't neatly fit, but this was definitely uh, an adventure film. Yeah. What I did find funny when I was reading up on IMDb is that there are a couple of bloopers in this film. The windows, when um, Monsieur de Villefort and Edmund are having that discussion around the letter, there's cars apparently outside the window, and this is supposed to be set in 1820s. And then there's a scene at the end where they've got a farmer's field, and apparently there's electricity pylons in, in the distance as well that you can see, so they didn't quite get the era correct. And also that you make reference to the fields in which mm. climactic scene happened. Apparently they filmed that at two different times. They filmed it before the spring and they came a bit of a cropper, pardon the pun, because some of the <laughs> cornfield was brown. That's ah. the time of year they were filming. But they So they filmed some of it and then they yeah. stopped, came back in the spring and filmed it again. And apparently there are some scenes where you can notice right. quite a difference. You know, like I've got to throw in some factoid. So. Yeah, you do, yeah. And I didn't know it was a Disney. You mentioned Disney. I didn't know it was a Disney film. Yeah, I was again, apparently I Disney. I watched this off Sky, I did. I don't know whether they invested some money in it, but it wasn't like technically a Disney film. But I mean, you could see how it could be a Disney family yes. movie, couldn't you? Yes, definitely. I also thought at the very beginning, I absolutely did not foresee at the beginning that Guy Pierce's character, Fernand, who is Edmund's best friend, Mm. And you certainly get the impression that they've grown up together as best friends. I really didn't think that he was going to double cross him just as quickly as he did, or just so easily as he did. It, it was almost like, mm. you know, he even warns him, even kind of like subtly warns him that things won't always be like this at one point. Maybe I was just suckered into the fact that they just seem such great friends. And so, wow, he, he's got that annoyed because he kind of wants his life and he hasn't got that life. And his best friend's got the girl and he wants the girl. I was still quite surprised that that was enough for him to do what he did Mm, but there you go he's just selfish selfishness isn't it not a very nice gentleman one other thing to say is the very opening scene of this really threw me because it was a scene of Edmund and Fernand in a boat rowing towards the shore yeah their captain is ill and they're trying to find a way to give him medical attention it's so obvious in that scene that they've superimposed the background to it. They're and heading towards the island of Mount Elba, was it Mount Elba, wasn't it? Mount Something Elba, like that. that's right, where Napoleon yeah. was in exile. And, and what was interesting is like then reading up afterwards to hear that that was indeed the case. It was filmed on a massive indoor artificial uh, okay. and, they, and they did put that on. But I thought that was really strange because it really stood out to me and it dated it, but it was literally a 30-second shot 
And the rest of the film was shot on location. They yeah. have any CGI, as it were, or anything superimposed. So I just thought it was strange they had to do that when there was none of it in the rest of the film. I, I thought it just seemed quite strange, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe were... they filmed it afterwards and they realised they hadn't shot that properly. Or... Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe, they, you know, the, the water was too rough and they couldn't go out that far. And I have no idea. But you can tell it's an early noughties film because of the quality of the film. It's not quite as sharp, of, of course, as well. And the sound as well is not as, as strong. So you can tell there's been changes over the last... It's 20 years old, this film, when you think about it. But I I like it. It's a good story, definitely. And so, yeah, what, what are you going to give it anyway? I'm going to give it seven and a half because it's not typically the kind of film that I would seek out now. But I think that's more to do with the fact that these types of films just haven't been made for a long time. And so I don't know, I just got a really warm feeling when I was watching it. It just took me back in time. And it was just one of those films that was really engaging, washed over me, scenery, beautiful. So yeah, I'll give it seven and a half. Seven and a half, that's good. And I'm going to give it, I'm trying to work up the, the more recent ones you think about, is, is Pirates of the Caribbean. And actually the first one was, was released in 2003, the year later. And then you had a series of those, didn't they? But they were more, more sort of family adventures, but they got a bit more comedy value, I think, to it because of Jack Sparrow being in it. Anyway, I'm going to give it eight and a half out of 10. It was nice to go back to it and have a watch. Probably haven't seen it for about 20 years. So, so it, was, it was good to see it again. I also, it's also good to see a very young Henry Cavill, who yes. <laughs> quite amusingly, apparently, was only five years younger than his on-screen mother. <laughs> Which I was he? There was oh, a, there wow. was there was one point when she was almost telling him off. I thought, hmm, that doesn't seem a huge, <laughs> doesn't seem a huge That's, age gap. There. Yeah. Anyway, good good film. Enjoyed that, and on to the new one. Yes, the new one is The Tender Bar, which is on Amazon Prime at the moment, which is directed by George Clooney. And it's a coming-of-age drama film based on the memoir of J.R. Moringer and screenplay by William Monaghan, starring Ben Affleck. And we've also got Ty Sheridan, and probably the two main stars, also Christopher Lloyd. And it's the story of a young boy, JR, who I guess must be 10, 11 years old, who with his mother comes to live in Long Island with her father, where Uncle Charlie also lives. And Uncle Charlie takes in this boy and really becomes a father figure to him. Uncle Charlie works at a local bar. And although the family as a whole don't look like they're particularly well off or anyone's had any successful careers, it becomes quite clear that Uncle Charlie, who runs the bar, is incredibly well read, uh, hence the name of the bar Dickens. And he decides that he's really going to help JR, help educate him, because his mum has this desperate desire that he's going to be better than everyone else. He wants him to be able to go to Yale. This is her big dream. She wants him to have a really good education and she wants him to become a lawyer. So it's almost like this boy is going to be the one that's going to make the family proud. What becomes clear quite early on is that JR's father left when he was quite young and 
he works as a radio DJ in New York and he's quite estranged really he doesn't see him very often and the times where he says he's going to come and see him rarely turns up we see that he's got a drink problem and the mum really doesn't want anything to do with him he's almost like a fringe character JR is very aware of him but only at one point in the film does he actually properly reach out and meet him and try and get to know him so the film really it's called The Tender Bar and it has a very tender feel to it really there's a voiceover that goes with this which tells the story from the point of view of JR and as soon as you hear that voiceover, I don't know if it's the same for you, Sarah, I immediately thought of The Wonder Years, the TV Oh, okay. Um, I thought of Rutherford's Through It or Stand By Me. Yeah. He sounded just like Robert Redford, though, but it wasn't Robert Redford. No. So I couldn't then get that out of my head. It's also worth saying that the boy is played by Daniel Ranieri, but as he grows up, he's then played by Ty Sheridan. And so most of the key points, I suppose, of the film are Ty Sheridan, where we really see him bond with Charlie and it's the Ty Sheridan character that we see interact with the father as well. Of course, Ty Sheridan, we know from Ready Player One. The grandfather is Christopher Lloyd. There's some really nice moments. Mm. I mean, he's quite an intelligent guy, but he's clearly decided that he doesn't need to show that. And it's almost like the whole family descended upon his house. Then he's a real character. He doesn't bother looking after himself. But the one occasion where JR has to, that's what's called a dad's breakfast morning at JR's school. But of course, JR hasn't got a father. So his grandfather decides to step into that role. So he goes to this breakfast breakfast morning with his grandfather which is a really kind of sweet moment i mean christopher lloyd's great in most things that he does so ben affleck i thought was interesting i wasn't sure about him i think mainly because you rarely see ben affleck in this kind of role because he's just a very nice guy and i think he talked about the reason we wanted to do this film is because it's like he wanted to spread a bit of good into the world we normally see him as more of a flawed character. And I actually was curious because I thought I could imagine George Clooney actually playing yeah. his part as well. George Clooney director, but he obviously he often directs and acts. So I was curious to know whether that was ever a temptation for Clooney because even hearing Uncle Charlie's delivering his lines, I could imagine George Clooney doing it just as well. But I don't know whether I was just being harsh because I just don't haven't really seen him play that role before. So I suppose I was curious as to what I thought of Ben Affleck's character but I think the same could be said for my overall opinion of the film and that is it was a very pleasant hour and 45 minutes watching the film there was nothing to really dislike about it there was no characters to really dislike obviously apart from his father but I didn't find the story as a whole that gripping I thought it was charming and it was tender and the performances were good but you know, you, you mentioned Stand By Me and you mentioned River Runs Through It. I don't know, the, these tales that are told through the eyes with a voiceover and have a similar kind of warm feel to it with, you know, only a little bit of darkness in there. And yeah, I just don't know. It was good. I liked it, but it didn't blow me away. Sorry, I should have just teed you up. I've done it the other way around. So that's what I think about it. What about you, Sarah? <laughs> I agree, actually. We talked about last week about meandering films like Licorice Pizza. I felt this did exactly the same. But it is based on the memoirs of, as you said, J.R. Moringa. But it felt there was a light storyline. However, it is wrapped around that dealing with abuse and hope and love and achieving your goals. And, and again, like the Chris Pizza, I had no quibbles of watching it. It was a coming of age movie. I just sort of just washed over me like the Chris Pizza did. And the tender bar I associated with being where 
JR grew up and, and got advice from Uncle Charlie. He introduced his friends and Uncle Charlie introduced his friends as well. And they advised each other. He was quite a smart kid. So he would actually give some advice to Uncle Charlie's friends, which I found hilarious. And he was just part of a close knit group and was their area for gathering and, and really just talking through his problems and, you know, seeking out advice. And his Uncle Charlie, as you said, he was he was like his dad, whereas his real dad was a wife beating alcoholic, which was it's horrible to watch. And you do see some elements of that in the movie. I think in the film, you kind of think, well, what would JR be like today if, if he hadn't been with Uncle Charlie and had his friends as a sounding barrier? Would he be as smart? Would he go to Yale? And, you know, all these kind of things. Or would he just be pottering around everyday life and, and not knowing which direction to go? Uncle Charlie was a smart chap himself. So Ben Affleck, that is, because he had a whole cupboard full of books, which he told JR to read all these books. And that's what made him really smart smart and stood out and surprised to see even his teachers, doesn't he, uh, in the movie. I think Daniel Ranieri's, this is his film debut, The Young JR, brilliant. He played it brilliantly. At first I thought he looked a bit menacing, <laughs> to be honest, but then I thought I, I warmed to him and I think we're going to see a lot more of him coming up in, in future films. And yeah, I can imagine him being a little bit like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, starting this this great film and then growing up and doing lots of other films as, as he gets older. I can see him in, in that kind of path. He's obviously got the confidence as well, because I've seen an interview with him outside. He's been interviewed by one of the, the US Saturday night chat shows and, and things like that. And he's, he's quite a character. Um, my, my husband kept on saying all the way through the film, Affleck looks like a young Clint Eastwood. And from the side profile, he was right. He looked like a really young Clint Eastwood. I like the sentiment. It's charming. I'm a fan of George Clooney. I'm warming to his movies that he's directing. And they all seem to have a little bit of heart to them, like Midnight Sky as well, had a bit of heart to it as well. And Ty Sheridan, he's fantastic in Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Ben Affleck, I always like watching him from the days of Goodwill Hunting. And you've got that element of cheekiness in this film from the Goodwill Hunting days, but also there's a seriousness as well that you see in, in that groupy kind of feel that you see in the town that he performed in as an example. But I would say you're right. He's probably not performing in this kind of role, this father figure role, as far as I can remember. But you would see, yes, a George Clooney in this kind of role, definitely. And I had to re listen really carefully to see whether, was it George Clooney's doing the voiceover or was it, was it Robert Redford? And then, yeah, I was surprised to see that it was Ron Livingstone. But that kind of tone was very similar to these other movies that we'd watched. But yeah, do you want me to give my rating? Well, I think, and I agree with you, it kind of plods along. And actually, that could be a Sunday afternoon film as well. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Uh, it's to say, it's one of those things that's weird, isn't it? It's kind of like you can't kind of fault it, but it, it just didn't grab me. I kind of felt, I mean, like you said, it's the memoir is the memoir and mm. it washes over you. It's a nice bit of time spent. But I think I was just wanting more from the story and wanting more yeah. from the characters. Anyway, I'm going to give this, it did it did plot up, but it had a lot of charm. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10, actually, because I, I kind of liked it. I probably would go back to it and have, a, have another watch. And pretty well acted all round, to be honest. But you're right, there wasn't anything that really like grabbed you and or was gripping enough. But I enjoyed it anyway. Eight out of ten. I'll give it six and a half. Um, Ooh, which for me that's is quite when you're a lower which one. Which I know yeah. which for, which for me is is low. And maybe 
it's similar to kind of how you felt about The Lost Daughter, because you recognise the quality of the acting and the cinematography and all the rest of it, but it mm. was the story that you didn't find that satisfying. For me, for mm. this, it was the same, although it's a completely different type of film, but still, yeah, like you say, I agree with you all. It's charming, it's tender, and it was nice, and mm. but... I was I was just left disappointed by the fact that the yeah, the story just didn't go where I wanted it to go or just didn't grab me as much. So maybe it's a harsh six point five, but I'm gonna say six point five. But yeah, that's probably one of your lower scores, definitely. So so interesting. So what are we gonna watch for this week then? Scream twenty twenty two. Screen I am so, I just... am so excited about this one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so, so I, excited. I got a message from Sarah saying, can we do Screen 2022? <laughs> I was like, sure. Now, having never seen, you're, gonna, you're not going to believe this, but I've never seen Screen never... Oh, so, you might have to watch Screen well, first. Well, we'll definitely have to watch Screen first. So when I saw got the message, I thought, well, that's fine, because I should really watch Scream anyway, because it was such a big, almost seminal film in some way. So... That's all cool. I, I didn't. Do you know what? I didn't even know there was a Scream 22. Yeah, I think it's a 25 years after the first one was released, and it's a good rating on IMDb. It is at 7.2. That is good for IMDb. Brings back the old gang. So you got Neve Campbell, you've got Courtney Cox, David Arquette back in the game, and yeah, it'll be cheesy but fun. I saw the first one at the cinema when I was in my uni days, and yeah, it was a good laugh. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. So where can we? Where can we? Is this? Is this? I found it. It's at the cinema, and it is also on Sky Store, and I think it's on the Virgin Movie Store as well. Okay, so as you say, 25 years after the original series of murders in Woodsboro, a new ghost face emerges and Sidney Prescott must return to uncover the truth. Ah, it'd be classic, it'd be brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. That's the newbie and the oldie. So, Sarah, you're going to choose a genre and I'll pick one off my list. It is comedy. Comedy, comedy. I'm worried now because the last comedy we had was the Anchorman. <laughs> what was wrong with that? It's absolutely classic. <laughs> okay, so I have 21 comedies. Now, have you put these in alphabetical order or have you put them in order of your favourites is the question. That would be telling. I'm not giving ah, anything away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick number two. Number two is Serrano de Bergerac. Ah, okay. Just before I go on. Is that with Steve Martin, that one? No, that's Roxanne. This is Gerard Depardieu. Haven't yes. they got Serrano that's just come out, coming out at the moment? Yes, and it? there's also the Serrano that's yeah. come out with Peter Dinklage. Yeah. So this is the Serrano de Bergerac of 1990, starring Gerard Depardieu. Do you remember Gerard Depardieu? Green Gerard, card. Yes. He had that little purple patch. So this was yeah. just before all that. So... This is a comedy, drama, history. Famed swordsman and poet Serrano de Bergerac is in love with his cousin Roxanne. He has never expressed his love for her and his large nose undermines his self-confidence. Then he finds a way to express his love to her indirectly. So there's been many films based on the same tale and there's one out at the moment, isn't there, with Peter Dinklage, which I have not seen. So, yeah. I only remember the Steve Martin one, which was Roxanne. Well, do you know what? Only three further down my list was Roxanne. (laughs) But anyway, Roxanne might be for another day. 
So this is uh, to rent and buy off Amazon, Apple TV and Curzon. You'll probably find it. It'll be on Virgin Media and Sky as well. So just have a look. It's not too dissimilar in terms of era, probably, as The Count of Monte Cristo, in terms of the setting of the film. So we're kind of sticking sticking around in that era for a bit. We are, we are. And when I say rent and buy, it's it's only a couple of quid. It's only like two to three pounds, depending on what platform you've got. And often, if you look for a little more more options, you can find a standard definition version for a pound cheaper, which I often do, the oldies. Very good. Okay. Lovely. Sounds really good. So we continue with the Francais. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I don't think this is subtitled. I really, I don't think it is. I think, I think this is an English-speaking version. Still, we don't hold me to that. English. It's been that long ago. So I have to say, obviously, that I still need to watch Encanto. Encanto and Lost Daughter. Let's just say that. I'm not sure about the tourists. That might just be asking a bit too much. We'll see. Anything <laughs> on your TV or oh. movie watching list for this next couple of weeks? I'll probably binge watch Ozark. <laughs> Now we'll bound it. No, I'm not sure. Walking Dead will be back very soon. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's at the end of February, though. I hopefully will get a chance to watch the latest Matrix at some point, hopefully. So I know you're not a big fan of the, the latest Matrix. You don't want to watch it, do you? I don't think so. I watched the first Matrix, yeah, recently with my son, which is good. Enjoyed it. Not a huge fan. I actually want to get to the cinema to watch Nightmare Alley, Guillermo Toro new okay. film. Yeah, it's quite highly rated in the Empire magazine, actually. It's in the latest one this this month. Maybe so... that could be a Friday cinema trip, Sarah. Just putting it, it out there. Could be, could be, could be. I might have another uh, wellness day. You never know. <laughs> Coming up. Good stuff. All right, then. Well, another good one. And look forward to catching up. We've got Sarah and de Bergerac. And... Scream! Scream! <laughs> Scream! It's going to make me jump. I know that. But I'm actually quite excited by that. This is probably the one of the only scary films that I can watch. I don't like Freddy Krieger or anything like that. You know, not Marilyn Elm Street or Saw or anything. I can watch Scream. <laughs> That's fine. It's got a bit more. It's more of an. It's got a bit more. Isn't it got a bit of entertainment and comedy? Maybe. Yeah, I I think that's probably why. It's probably why. Right. Okay. Well, have a good couple of weeks, and I will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.